Well, good morning, everybody. It's good to be uh, together and, and back with you. Um, I, I don't know whether anybody else goes through the si same dilemma on a Sunday morning when Ian's doing the notices. This is not to criticize in any way how he does it, but it's just to, to, to understand, Ian, that we all go through a real pastoral dilemma because there's a slide that you put up and it says, after the service, there is coffee and there's prayer. And then Ian stands here and he does this. So there's coffee and then there's prayer. And I don't know about anybody else. I'm sat in the seat going, oh, no, which one am I going to do? Oh, how, can I do both? Anyway, I, I, the Lord gave me a revelation this morning uh, to, to, to sort of solve the problem completely. Go over to the prayer section and pray for a coffee. And, um, and if you don't get one, this sermon this morning, the puzzle of an answered prayer, will sort the problem out for you. So there we have it. Anyway, the, clearly the pastoral team... Um, when they were looking at uh, the, the uh, sermons for this series, they got to sort of choose off the cream of titles and then left the ones they really didn't want to do. And uh, they then said, Jeff, you can do this one. Thank you very much. I mean, Emma virtually literally said that to me this morning. So thank you for that, Emma. Um, so this morning we're looking, uh, we're continuing in our exploration of the Lord's Prayer. I'm going to be thinking about the puzzle of an answered prayer. Um, the one thing I would say is, and I've noticed it through all, each of the messages, it's almost impossible not to tread on the toes of the other preachers in the series because you just cannot extract cleanly and simply any one single phrase from this prayer because it's just an amazing thing as a whole. But just to remind us, uh, let's have a look at Matthew chapter 6, uh, verses 9 through to 10. And I've highlighted the key verse for us uh, this morning. So Jesus, here on the Sermon on the Mount, goes on to teach about prayer. He says, then this is then how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. May your kingdom come and your will be done on earth, just as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation but deliver us from the evil one. So there we have it at the heart there, that center phrase uh, in verse 10 in terms of what we're going to be looking at. And uh, of course, we're reading there that Jesus talks about prayer and he's thinking of the, the kingdom of God coming and he's asking for the will of God uh, to happen. But I think one of the probably the biggest dilemmas we ever face as Christians or, or puzzles really is, is this thing about what happens when we don't get the answers to the prayer uh, that we're hoping for or, or expecting. I don't know about you, but I remember as a young Christian, uh, somebody in my church in, in Lancaster saying to me that there is no such thing as an unanswered prayer. Um, you might have heard that said. They sim they, what they said was, it, it's simply, the, re the answer is either yes, or it's no, or it's not yet. Uh, and it's one of those things. And that's not a bad start, but I want to expand on it a little bit further than that because I think it is a little more uh, complicated than that. So I'm going to look at uh, six things here very, very briefly uh, and then move on to sort of actually look at a case study of Jesus going through a prayer situation himself. So I suppose for all of us, you know, when we're praying, the ideal is the yes. You know, when God just just plonks the answer right down there in front of you and it happens. And it's that, like, that's an amazing thing. 
I would say there have been a couple of times, you, you might think, this is terrible for a pastor, a chaplain to admit, but I, I would say there's a couple of times in my life where I prayed already knowing with absolute certainty, like with miraculous faith, that God was going to give this answer. Like I had no doubt at all. The rest of the time when I'm praying, I think in many ways I'm praying with faith, but with a sort of hopeful element to it. I really, really, really hope that this works out. Okay, but there are other times when we, ha- we carry really the gift of faith uh, with absolute certainty. And there are other times when we're praying maybe even just speculatively, sort of wishful thinking prayers, I guess we would call them. So there are those times when God says yes. And then there are two types of no's. One no uh, is the no where it's just a straightforward no. No, this is not going to happen. You're not going to have that. You're not going to go there. And, and that, in a sense, what that does is it leaves you there. There is another type of no, which is probably more troubling, where you actually get the opposite of the very thing that you've asked for. And that very often can end up being uh, with regards to a loss. Let me just introduce you to a young man called Ben. This is Ben Nobbs, and Ben is a senior leader in YWAM in South Africa, Youth with a Mission. Ben was one of the young people in the church uh, in Preston where I was pastoring, and um, brilliant, beautiful young man. He got married uh, to Kirsten, who I think is actually from South Africa, and then they went out with YWAM to work there. They've had children, uh, and they're running a base uh, in Durban. Some of you might have come across on the news that a week ago, something terrible happened in Tanzania. 25 people died when a lorry lost control and uh, collided with some of the vehicles. But the main vehicle it collided with was a bus carrying YWAM leaders. So 25 died in total. 11 YWAM leaders died within the space of a minute, all of a sudden. That was the majority of people on that bus were killed. I I felt absolute dread when I heard this news, appalling sense of horror that such a thing would happen. There was a slight bit of relief for me because I discovered that Ben had survived. Uh, He's very, very badly injured, multiple injuries, and he's in hospital in Tanzania at the minute. Uh, His wife uh, and his children uh, are down in South Africa and has not been able to be with him just yet. Uh, but Ben is recovering from his injuries. Now, I can guarantee you when all of these YWAM leaders were setting off from home, there were family members who were praying for them that they would have safe travels, that they would have a wonderful time at, at the leadership school that they were going to, and God would bring them back. Not only did that prayer not get answered in the way that they wanted, it wasn't that they got a straightforward no. They actually ended up getting the very opposite of the thing that they had prayed for. Now, I am sure that there are times when all of us have come across situations like that. That that is not new. Um, If any of you have watched the uh, movie Shadowlands um, about the writer, the Christian writer, uh, theologian from Oxford, C.S. Lewis, Uh, You may remember that that film starts with him uh, something like, I don't know, 60, probably about 80 years ago, giving a lecture uh, only a few weeks after um, a bus crash in London that killed a whole lot of people. I think a lot of soldiers died in that crash. 
And, and he starts off his talk to, I think it was a women's institute, with, with the question, why? why? Why does a loving God allow these things to happen? And so when we are praying, when we're asking for things, and, and we get yeses, we get noes, we get the, the noes of, of loss that completely contradict the things we've asked for, we can be left in a place of just confusion and doubt and not really understanding uh, what is going on. Now, at those points, there is a real danger of us giving trite answers. As a pastor, I have experienced this over the years uh, of, of members of my church who were well-meaning, but, but trying to explain to somebody how what happened, this terrible thing, was actually the will and purpose of God. Um, you know, one of the things I do as a chaplain, I work with um, families who've been through stillbirth and neonatal death. Uh, every year we run between two and four special services for families uh, in Tayside where we meet with a group called SANS, a stillbirth and neonatal death uh, charity. Uh, and let me just tell you, you know, for those families who've lost babies, there are no simple, straightforward answers. And what I would say to you is that in many ways, when we try and give rationalizations, even though that we are meaning well, uh, in actual fact, that can lead sort of quite significant emotional or even spiritual damage. Sometimes, like Job's friends, it's better to sit with those who are bereaved in silence and accompany them before we ever, ever think of saying another word. Now, of course, when we're praying, there is always more going on than that. God has answers to our prayers, and sometimes the time is not yet right. There's a fascinating uh, little encounter there in, I say little encounter, it's pretty supernatural, in Daniel chapter 10 in the Old Testament. Uh, and, and there Daniel is in, is in exile with the Israelites, and he has been praying to God to come and do something and amazing, to, to set his people free. And Daniel has this supernatural encounter with an angelic being, and he is given a vision. And that angelic being tells Daniel that his prayer was heard right at the beginning. The very first time he started to pray, God heard the prayer, and he sent an answer. And uh, this angelic being tells him that he has encountered resistance for a period of 21 days and was detained and only now has been able to get here with the answer to the prayer. I mean, my goodness me, what a, what a supernatural look behind the scenes that we get there. You know, we've had the sort of curtains of the heavenly realms pulled back for us to realize that, that, that this process isn't a simple one. That actually there's a whole spiritual warfare dimension going on of resisting the purposes of God on, on a very spiritual level too. So sometimes there is a delay in the answer to the prayer. At other times, the answer is yes, but not here. The place isn't right. And I'm going to be speaking a bit more about that in a moment. And then finally, possibly one of the most troubling is just pure straightforward silence. Where, where our prayers just feel like they're bouncing off the ceiling and we get nothing back. No word from God. No word of encouragement from anybody else. All of those God incidences that happen so often that confirm a prayer. You know, it's wonderful when that happens. In these occasions, it's just silence. And, and, and that can leave you struggling and troubled. 
wondering what on earth is going on. So at the heart of the puzzle of an answered prayer here in the Lord's Prayer sits this phrase, your will be done. Your will be done. But it raises a bigger question. In prayer, who is it that gets what they want? I don't know about you, but most of the time when I'm praying, I'm praying for something that matters to me. I'm praying for something I believe in. It may be even praying for something that I want. How many times do we come to prayer and we, right at the beginning, just lay everything down and say, God, I don't care about anything I want. Just tell me what you want and I'll do it. Now, I know that's the right place to be. I know that's the place that probably spiritually most of us want to be. But in reality, I, I think we can say, you know, if, if I was to do an audit of my prayers, I'm sure it would add up that most of them were fairly me-centered or centered on the things around me that mattered. So there's some dimension of what's going on here. Who is it that gets what they want? I always try and bring a film in. I don't do it deliberately. They're just sort of part of my consciousness, I guess. Um, so I don't know if any of you have seen the, the movie Bruce Almighty. It is probably one of the, the most theological movies. It's the most theological comedy, I can guarantee you, that I have ever, ever encountered. Uh, the, the, the director, Tom Shadiak, is a Christian. He's made a number of different films, Liar Liar being another one with Jim Carrey, which is all about the ethics of telling the truth. Uh, um, Evan Almighty was a sequel uh, to this. But uh, what happens in the story of Bruce Almighty, in case you have not encountered it, is that Bruce is having a, a terrible time. Everything's going wrong. And he, he eventually crashes his car, gets out, and has a good old yell at God saying, essentially, I could do your job better than you could. And essentially what happens is that God arrives on the scene. Well, in that case, I'm going to give you my powers for a week, and let's see what, how you get on dealing with all of this. There's a brilliant scene where Bruce, who's now got God's powers for a week, um, discovers that he can hear everybody's prayers on the planet. And, and they're just rattling around. So he decides, uh, sort of um, miraculously, that he's going to convert prayers, heard prayers, into emails. And so he sits down at his laptop and opens up his uh, sort of Microsoft Outlook, and suddenly his inbox is just pouring with tens of thousands of prayers. And he's trying to sit there typing answers to every single one. And in the end, he gives up, and uh, he does, he does that, that wonderful thing that I guess we all wish God would do. It, he types, yes to all. In other words, he says, basically, I'm not going to read any of these prayers. There's too many to read. I'll just say yes to everybody. Everybody can have what they want. Well, chaos then ensues across the planet. So have a watch of the film. It's, it's really, really interesting. So yes to all. One of the things that comes up later when he's talking to God about it, he says, uh, God says, yeah, since when did anybody know what they really wanted? Which is a brilliant thing. I mean, imagine what would your life be if God had said yes to everything you'd ever asked for? Wow. You might think it would be wonderful. I'll tell you what, it might have been a heck of a mess. One of the questions, though, that's important in the midst of this is, is this. You know, we, we thought about in prayer, do we get what we want? Does God, does God get what he wants in prayer? And there's a passage in 2 Peter 3 which absolutely fascinates me. 
Peter writes there, he says, do not forget this one thing, dear friends, that with the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years like a day. Now, I have to say at the beginning, when we're thinking about God delaying prayers, I really don't want to hear that a thousand years are like a day to God, all right? Because that sounds like I could be waiting thousands of years, uh, you know, for an answer to my prayer. I haven't got that amount of time. Uh, But anyway, he says, uh, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise as some understand slowness. And then he says this, instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, for everyone to come to repentance. Look at that last two phrases. Not wanting anyone to perish, for everyone to come to repentance. Let me ask you, when you read that, does God get what he wants? He says there, that's what he wants. Not wanting anyone to perish, for everyone to come to repentance. Now, I don't know what was going on with Peter and the Lord when he wrote this, This is a profound thing to write, because actually what we know is this. God does not get what he wants. This isn't anyone, an everyone, ideal will of God scenario. He doesn't want anyone to perish. He wants everyone to come to repentance. This is about us understanding. This is what for Peter I think is going on here. He wants us to understand that God has not given up on this world and he's not given up on human beings. He never does. He never gives up. At all times, he's willing repentance. At all times, he's willing salvation. And yet we know from Scripture that God does not get what he wants completely in this world with regards to that. Now the question is, why doesn't he get that? And this is where we encounter the mystery of prayer versus free will. I mean, this goes right back to the Garden of Eden when God put the man in the garden and it says he commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden. I love that. I absolutely love that. An amazing idea. God did not create robots. He didn't pre-program them and give them no choice. He, he put them there, and I, in many ways, I, I sort of imagine him putting the, the man and the woman there, and he stands back and he wants to see what they'll do. And, it, and if, you've, if you've got children, if you've had children, what a wonderful thing it is when you put them down when they're little and you just stand back and you watch them play and you watch all of the sort of imagination that takes place. It's fantastic. But God was doing that with human beings. He was standing back to see what would happen. In the movie Bruce Almighty, uh, in in the movie Bruce Almighty, after Bruce's uh, uh, wife Grace has broken up with him, he says to God, how do you make someone love you without affecting free will? And God says, hey, welcome to my world, son. Because there is, from, from that very moment that God gave free will to human beings, he surrendered his complete opportunity of getting what he wanted. He put some of that, he contracted it out, essentially. Contracted that task out to human beings to stand back and see what we would do with the gift that God gave us. Now I want to think a little more about this as we look at a case study in prayer. So we've seen Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount giving us the sort of 
you know, telling us what prayer's about and how to do it, and there it is. That's the model. And we pray even to this day. We use the Lord's Prayer, and we use it also as a pattern, as a model. So let's have a look at Jesus himself. Let's see what he does with the very teaching that he gives to others when he is praying in the Garden of Gethsemane. Now, don't forget, this is just hours before he's being, going to be arrested. He's, he's going to be beaten and tortured and then crucified uh, by the powers. And it, and it says this here, Matthew 26, that Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to them, sit here while I go over there and pray. And he took Peter and two sons of Zebedee along with him and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. And he said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here. Keep watch with me. Now what we're seeing here is Jesus' anguish in prayer. And I dared to say here that this is the, the anguish of unanswered prayer. And I'll explain why I describe it like that in a moment. We know from the scripture that it tells us when Jesus was praying that, that it was as he sweat, drops of blood was so intense the anguish that he went through. It then says in verse 39, that going a little further, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, my father, if it's possible, let this cup pass by me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. When he then goes to see the disciples, he sees they've fallen asleep. And he uses this phrase, which I think is, his own experience in prayer right now, he says to them, watch and pray so you'll not fall into temptation. For the spirit's willing, but the flesh is weak. This is Jesus' own experience right here in the garden as he's struggling about whether to go to the cross or not or be spared the suffering. What's my flesh want? What does the spirit want? And it then says in verse 42 that he went away a second time and prayed. And it's subtly different this time. My, pro my father, if it's not possible for this cup to pass by, unless I drink it, may your will be done. Now, the, the, taking the cup and drinking it was a sort of metaphor for going through suffering. And, and if you imagine a cup being passed around the room and, and everybody drinking from it, you can almost imagine us doing that at communion. Jesus is essentially saying, no, no, it's okay. I'll, I'll just pass that on to, to somebody else. I'll let the cup pass by. That's what Jesus was struggling with here, what he was wrestling with. And in that sense, this was about not getting what he or his flesh wanted, which was really an escape route. It was about avoidance of the purpose of God because the suffering was going to be so profound. A number of years ago, I had a, a, an encounter, and forgive me here when I'm talking about prayer uh, from my own personal experience. Um, you know, I'll, I'll share how it was, and you might be thinking, wow, Jeff, Jeff, it's like he just sits there and has a conversation with God. But all I can do here is just tell you how it was. I remember once praying to God, and God's response to me on this particular thing was this. He said, he said to me, what are you standing here for? And I was like sort of stumped. What do you mean, what am I standing here for? I'm praying, I'm asking you, God, for something. I've been standing here for ages. And God said, he said, but he said this, the answer isn't here. And then he said something that absolutely floored me. He said, the answer isn't here. 
The answer's over there. So why are you standing here? You're standing here moaning at me that you've not got the answer. I've already given the answer. But the answer isn't where you are stood. It's over there. That's where you need to be. And and the Lord is really teaching me something about prayer at this moment and how we expect God to answer. And um, I'm not a massive American football uh, fan. I just know a little bit about it. But, but the Lord really gave me a picture here. And I'm going to show you a little video clip in a moment. But just let me explain what's going to go on. In this scene in American football, you're going to see, and if anybody knows American football better than me, you can correct me at the end about the terminology. But um, in this off- offensive play, they get the ball to the quarterback. The, the quarterback now has the ball. And, and the whole purpose of what's about to happen is to get this ball to a touchdown at the far end of the, uh, uh, of, of the field. And there is a player right out on the wing. They don't call him a winger. They call him a wide receiver. And the job of the quarterback here is to get the ball to the wide receiver and for the wide receiver to get the ball onto a touchdown. Okay? Now, I'm going to play you a video clip here. It's only very short. And, and this is a classic sort of play of what happens between the quarterback and uh, the wide receiver. And I'll explain a bit more about it. No sound. Here we go. Throw. Who the heck is he throwing to? There we go. Way. That's awesome. I love, I love watching that. Let me just, I'm going to play that back to you one more time. Just watch it. Think about what's going on with the wide receiver. Okay. Right, let's think about this. Just imagine we're on the field and the wide receiver is stood about six foot away from the quarterback and he's just stood there. The quarterback gets the ball and then he stands there and he looks at the wide receiver and he says, what are you doing standing here? All right, this isn't where you're meant to be. All right, you're meant to be somewhere else. He says to him, can you, can, you, can you see it 40 yards down the field? That, that is where the ball is going to be. So if you want this ball, you've got to be over there. And so the wide receiver starts running. That's the whole point. And so the point here is that the quarterback throws the ball. He doesn't throw it to the wide receiver. He throws it to a place, and the wide receiver's job is to be there to receive it. Does that make sense? Yeah? So the wide receiver at no point is ever static. They're not just stood there waiting for it. And the ball, the, the, and in the, you can see where I'm going here with prayer, hopefully. It's this. The implication is this. We often pray statically. We pray saying, Lord, drop the answer in my lap, please. Meanwhile, I'll, I'll just put my feet up at home and watch the TV, and when the answer arrives, then I'll get on with it. And the Lord is going, what are you doing standing here? What are you doing with your feet up? The answer isn't here. It is over there. Um, Some of you may or may not know uh, parts of uh, our story, uh, Patricia and I. Um, We got married in 1990, and I really, really wanted a baby. And for 11 years, we tried. She had a miscarriage once, and the rest of the time, every month was a torment, uh, hoping 
hoping for a baby. Never happening. It was so painful. In the end, um, what I would say is during that period, I prayed, I hoped, I believed, I persevered, uh, and I hurt. And um, one of the things I would say is this, is, is hope hurts. Like, when you keep praying for something that's so important to you, and it never happens, and every month, whatever it is, you're disappointed, it, it, it can kill. I mean, the pain is so deep. And it got so deep that I couldn't cope anymore. Uh, it was just too much, and so I gave up. After eight years, Trisha and I were on holiday. Uh, our, our, probably our favorite place on the planet, which is Holy Island uh, in Northumberland, um, a former mission center for the early Christian uh, Celtic missionaries, an amazingly spiritual place. Wow. So that's a place where, what they, where, where it, it's what they call a thin place, the gap between heaven and earth. Oh, my goodness. I went out in a storm one morning, and let me just say to you, one of the things I had prayed over the years had been, Lord, I really struggle when people, you hear of people having abortions. So what I said to God was this, God, why, why in the divine chess game of the universe can you not just take an, a, a child from the womb of somebody who's going to have an abortion and just move that baby to, to Trisha's womb? I mean, you know, that's a win-win for everybody. Lord, why, why can't you do that? And, and nothing happened. This particular day in 1998, I was stood in the storm on the shore of Nor uh, Holy Island with the waves and the spray hitting up, and God gave me a vision. And he just showed me, it was, it was like somebody just slid a movie right in front of my eyes, and it showed a Chinese woman holding a baby, placing the baby on the pavement in a city, and then as she moved back and left the baby, she looked to the sky and she prayed to a God whose name she did not know. And she said this, God, if, if there is a God, please look after my baby. And then God said to me, and this, this is just like a good goosebumps saying this to you. And then God said to me, Jeff, the reason why you have waited eight years is because it was always my plan to answer your prayer and her prayer at the same time. You and Trisha are going to be the answer to her prayer. Now, I've I, I was I got goosebumps, right? I cannot tell you how powerful this was. And from that moment, God gave me the gift of faith. I went, I knew. We went back, I went back to the bed and breakfast, and we were there with friends. And my friend Nick, who was my best man, we were sitting at the breakfast table. I hadn't even told Trish. And... Um, Nick said, so what's God been saying to us this week? This is the last day. And, and I, I just told them about the vision. Trish is sitting there listening to this. She, I, she hasn't had any private time for me to tell her this is what is going to happen. But from that day on, I knew. Now, it took another three years. But three years later, we went to China. Now, if I stayed in Britain, I could not have received the answer to the prayer. The, the answer to the prayer was not now. The answer to the prayer was not here. It was over there. And, and God chucked the ball of that prayer all the way around the other side of the planet. And we got there. And we caught it. And we received it. And I, 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 don't, 
I, I just tell you that story because there may be things in your life, there may be things that are difficult or, or painful, things that you've struggled with. But one of the ways that, that we need to understand this is that sometimes God's silence, sometimes God's apparent knows have a greater wisdom behind them than we could possibly imagine. Now, I want to just very briefly just land us back in the garden. Because the answer to Jesus' prayer wasn't in the garden. It was beyond the garden. In fact, it was just beyond the cross. Jesus was praying, Lord, let this cup of suffering pass by me. And yet that couldn't happen, or it didn't happen. Jesus cooperated. He submitted to his heavenly Father. And he said, yet not my will. You can almost imagine Jesus kneeling there, can't you? And remembering, what was it I said to, the, what was it I said to my followers on the Sermon on the Mount on the hillside? Oh yes, your will be done. I suppose I'd better pray that. There's a mystery here in the Trinity, isn't there, of the Godhead, of Jesus praying that to his Father. But he does. His first prayer is an if it's possible prayer. We've probably prayed that. Um, let me just move the slide. His first prayer was an if it's possible prayer. And his second prayer shifted. He said, well, if it's not possible, then. So there was an evolution in persistent prayer. And what I would say to you here is this. Prayer is not an event, it's a process. And when we keep praying, things change in us. And realizations come, and God is teaching us and speaking to us. But through the whole process, we're dealing with our own flesh. The flesh wants what it wants, and we're struggling with that side, and God wants what he wants. We're struggling with the two sides of this whole process. My will versus God's will. And in a sense, you could say that the unanswered prayer, in many ways, is, is, is not getting what our flesh wants. And if it's about not getting what our flesh wants, then the opposite is therefore also true. Seeking the, the, the real answers to prayer out there are always going to be about spiritual submission, where we arrive eventually in prayer at a place where we, we, where we submit to him and say, Lord, but not what I want. It's what you want that's really, really the whole point of this. You see, prayer brings us, and especially unanswered prayer, brings a focus between separate events. Now, if you look at this picture, you've got the cross being viewed through the door of the, of the empty, uh, empty grave. And these, these two events could be completely separate. And there are events in your life that could be completely separate. But the process of prayer, and when we struggle with an answer to prayer, what happens is this, that there is an alignment that is brought between the two, where the cross... And the resurrection, the cross and the empty grave, line up. And what I want to say to you is this. In every unanswered prayer, this focus and alignment is taking place in you if you will persist in prayer. Now, I can't guarantee what the outcome is. But in persisting prayer, in the face of unanswered prayers, the cross is always going to be present. The very thing that struggled, Jesus struggled with is letting go of stuff is sacrificing stuff, is the possibility of us dying to stuff. But when we align them, life turns up as well beyond this very, very truth. Jesus aligned these things in his own ministry. If you read John 5, 
this incredible scene, the pool of Bethesda in Jerusalem, hundreds of people, disabled, crippled, all crowded around the pool, all wanting healing. Wow, Jesus turns up. Amazing, we're going to have a healing crusade. No. Do you know what? Most people that day went away disappointed because their prayers weren't answered. What on earth? Where, where was Jesus in that case? Or it tells us when Jesus answers the Pharisees later as they question him about why he did what he did on the Sabbath. His answer is this. Um, let me just... Next slide. He says this. I tell you the truth. The Son of Man can do nothing by himself. He can do only what he sees his father's doing, his father doing. Because whatever the father does, the son also does. When Jesus turned up to the pool that day, he, he wasn't trying not to answer people's prayer. He was simply occupied with the very phrase that he taught the, the believers in the Lord's Prayer, your will be done. So he asked himself, Father, what are you doing here today? And the father was doing one thing, and he was doing that one thing with this crippled guy who could not get to the pool. And so that's what Jesus did. We might ask then in the face of unanswered prayer, what is the purpose of prayer? That whole process, that struggle, is always going to be about finding out what God wants in the face of what we want, and then doing that. And when we do that, no prayer ever, ever really goes unanswered. Maybe God is calling us to become wide receivers. Let's pray, shall we? Father God, we want to thank you for the gift of prayer. Lord Jesus, we want to say thank you for showing us how to pray. And Holy Spirit, we thank you for dwelling in us and bringing almost unspeakable, unknown words to our hearts and minds that we can even just groan to our Father in, in a cry and a plead of the heart. We thank you that the whole Godhead joins us in this amazing endeavor. Lord, you know our pain here today. You know our loss. You know the things we're struggling with, the things that we're confused about, the things, Lord, that we are really cheesed off with you about, but you've not done anything with yet. Lord, you see all of that. And what we do right here, right now, is we lay those things down and we say, Lord, yet not what we will, but your will be done. Heavenly Father, our Father, my Father, your will be done. Amen. And to honor Jeff this morning, honestly, this is why we ask him to do these kind of subjects, because he has a heart and an understanding of it all so deeply. I'm going to invite the worship team to join us as we move into communion. Ruth, if you could come and join us also. Often when I start a communion time, I begin it with on the night he was betrayed, Jesus took bread and broke it and gave it to his disciples, giving it to them, saying, take, eat in remembrance of me.
We've also been reminded today that on the night he was betrayed, Jesus prayed, Lord, not my will, but yours be done. And as we finish this service with communion in response to this unanswered prayer, I want to read you a few verses from Hebrews 2, uh, 12. Sorry. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run that wide receiver picture. Let us run with perseverance, the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author, the pioneer, the perfecter of our faith. For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. What important words they are. That in the garden, he prayed, watching the cross loom, but knowing there was a beyond the cross, the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. And then the writer says, so consider him, that is Jesus, who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Consider him. Prayer is a journey with Jesus, aligning our lives with him, our heart with him, our spirit with his, our will with his. Consider Jesus. And so as you take communion this morning, it's an act of submission an act of submission to God. It's, it's looking and considering Christ who endured the cross for you and for me. But knowing there was a joy that was set before him and set before us as he aligns his will and our will together.